Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. GuestCheck is a contact tracing solution being used in over 500 venues around Australia. It's an online safety tool that allows hospitality venues such as restaurants, hotels, and public areas like community centers and libraries to reopen to the public with an ability to maintain a third-party electronic list. These lists are with the local government, giving them knowledge of who's been in the space and on what date, and only on an as-needed basis. If someone on that list were to test positive for COVID, the individual information would be available to the local government to notify others who were at that venue on the same day and time. My guest today is Adrian Kinderis. He is co-founder of Bombora Technologies. This is a group of businesses that grew from a small Melbourne startup to a thriving global organization focused on technology solutions. In March of 2020, Adrian added GuestCheck Australia to the list. Adrian and his team designed this contact tracing program with current government privacy rules and the comfort of the individual to share their data with a third party in mind. He and I discussed the way he created a secure way to share information that is validated for its accuracy and also ensures all parties involved will have the information they need to serve people during this time of COVID. As Adrian explained his value proposition on this new company, he says, we built a business that we hope is finite in life. We didn't start to get bought out. We started this to solve a problem. Adrian, you and your development team have put together an app that appears to be valuable, simple, and a third-party solution for a three-way relationship between your hospitality locations, bars or hotels, the guests of the establishment, and the government. So explain to me how you figured this out, because we don't have it quite right up here in the United States. Thanks, Shane. I don't know that, that any of us have it quite right just yet, but we're working our way through it. So my background is in IT. I managed to sell out of that a little while ago, and I did as any good entrepreneur does. I went and bought a pub, at least any Australian entrepreneur. So in owning a pub, going through lockdown one in Melbourne, after while we were locked down, we, we started hearing about this contact tracing regulation that the Victorian government was putting out, and, and all state governments were adhering to the same sort of rules, and started going through the conundrum of you know, how we're going to solve this. And at a very basic level, a pen and paper would have been appropriate to, to grab contact tracing data in the event that someone within your venue had contracted the virus and then had given it to other people whilst they were in the venue. And so it was a method by which the government, as you know, the government would contact potentially infected people. We looked at pen and paper, we thought that's, that's not really going to cut it. Forgetting about the contamination risk, given my background in, in IT and, and, and what I did around domain names, understanding the, the various privacy rules and regulations, handing a piece of paper around with people's private details didn't sit well with us. So my old uh, chief technology officer from my, my previous life, and we stayed in touch, and we hatched a bit of a plan to develop some tech from the get-go out philosophy was about getting the most accurate data possible. So you've probably seen a lot of QR code operators pop up. A little cottage industry has sprung up around people doing a similar thing. The problem you have is whenever you allow free-form data entry, especially online, that doesn't guarantee that people aren't going to put in rubbish information. Shane, how many times, I know you travel a lot, how many times have you traveled the world and got a free Wi-Fi somewhere and it asks you to enter your, your name and, and email address and I'm pretty sure you entered in some Santa Claus and some, some, some rubbish data at that point in time. Send it all to Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're at least doing something. If, if you're using an address that's valid, you're one step ahead of me. So, yeah, so, so yeah, on that, we, we, tried to, we didn't want to just do just you know, scan a QR code, 
be presented some forms on your internet-enabled device, then you know, you're checked in. That wasn't enough for us. So we went about creating a validated solution. And by validated, we used what is now somewhat of a forgotten methodology, which is SMS-based tech. What the SMS enabled us to do or the text message enabled us to do was when someone walks into a venue, they text our phone number, but with a unique code of that venue. And then we bounce a text message back to them. In doing so, we get a valid phone number. So we now know that that phone number works. And when you distill all the information down, all the data collection down, that's really what the government needs, right? When the contact tracing teams are called into action, they need accurate data in the most efficient way possible. So that's how it all sort of came about. We, we, we then went around building our tech and, and our solution around that backbone and focusing on what is effectively validated information and then kept it away from the venues, which is an interesting discussion because, of course, you know, you've got all these little venues that have never had to play online before, never had to hold private data before. I'm talking cafes and, and pubs and so on. Now they've been given this mandate that they have to collect all this privacy data and they're now under all the privacy regulations to go with that. So you know, it, it was a bit of a cluster for these guys to have to deal with. And they kept saying, oh, so do we hold the data? And we're like, no, no, no. You know what? You're best not to even touch it. And we will release that data to the appropriate government authorities if and when it's required. I've answered your, your question in a long way there, but, but that's how we got started. That, that was the basis for the tech, really the, the core tenant of validated data and doing it in a very, very efficient way, doing it in a frictionless way, such that you, know, you can check in within three seconds. We do allow freeform data entry if you've got a miner with you, for example, that doesn't have a phone and a couple of other little caveats. But, but ultimately, the, the one thing we do grab is a valid phone number. We know that the contact tracing teams can reach out to anyone within moments and send a text message and tell those people to isolate and go and get themselves tested. Virginia just recently rolled out a contact tracing app that is Apple and Google enabled on their platforms using Bluetooth technology. What is the difference between your contact tracing app and the one that Virginia just recently rolled out? The difference between our solution, I mean, it doesn't matter, but we're not an app. We don't have to download anything for us, which is different, right? Because the Virginian solution is all about downloading an app. And then what it uses is the Google and Apple proximity solution that they've developed, right? Which is where they use Bluetooth between two devices that have the app turned on. Should you get within a certain distance between these two devices, it logs two unique codes and says, well, you've come in contact with this person. That doesn't keep your details or anything else, just a code of that person. And then so should that person contract the virus, it goes through their phone and then says, well, in the last 14 days, who did this person come in contact with? And then automatically sends a message out to you. And so the Virginian solution is built on the backbone of proximity. Now, there's a whole bunch of issues with Bluetooth. It doesn't always work. It's not always accurate. The person must have it turned on, not just the app downloaded, but of course, the app turned on to do so. And then, of course, there's the whole big brother thing around that, right? So because it's run by a government, people think, oh, the government's grabbing all my data. So people tend to gravitate towards privatized solutions, which is ridiculous, you know, for the aforementioned reasons that I'll talk about with the Chinese example. But anyway, so just by way of background, that's, that's what the Virginian difference is. It's an app that you download that uses proximity. Now, we've had people that have been had walls in between them because there's an Australian version as well that the Australian government tried to get up that has not been, it's been a massive failure. But they had walls in between them. But because the Bluetooth could connect through that wall, they were caught up in the, in the contact tracing. Now, I didn't even come in touch. You know, this person worked in an office next door to me that had thin walls, but I never saw them, didn't even know who they were. Yet they had COVID and I was called into it. Right. Another good example, a mate of mine who's a doctor, he, he worked in the very, very strict, he had all his PPE on, all his gear on, and there was screens between every patient. And he was scared because if he gets caught up in a, in a, a transmission, he can't work. 
Yep. Right, because he has to then go self-isolate and everything else. And so they were all worried the Bluetooth, the, the Australian app, was going to was going to drag him unnecessarily in because they were, first of all, they were wearing all their PPE, but second of all, they had physical barriers between them to do so. I went to a restaurant when we got into, I think, phase two here in Washington, and I walked up and they handed me a pen, which you know somebody had maybe wiped off and said, here, you need to put your name and cell phone number and your email on this strip of paper like you were going to win like a prize. And then they put it into a shoebox. And I was like, right. oh, okay. And then my yeah. friend I was with, he goes, did you give them your real information? And it never occurred to me not to, because you know me, <laughs> but I was like, huh. Yeah, that's not going to work. So then I look at the guard and I said, what are you going to do? Like if somebody somehow contacts you, you're going to go back and get that shoebox out? And he just looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, this isn't going to work. And then I read about what you were doing and I was like, brilliant. And your example on your website, guestcheck.com.au actually is, it's simplicity is what is so elegant about it, that this is information it goes to the right person. Somebody, the person who checks you in doesn't actually have to touch the device. So you've, you've resolved that issue as well as the idea of someone, I imagine if they, you know, go back to the authorities and say, Hey, I tested positive. You can go back and, and actually tell all these people that you should probably just go check and see how you're doing. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you're right. The, the, the beauty is in the simplicity, but, but when you think about it, you know, a pen and paper, by the way, I just imagined that guy having at the back in the office, like all these shoeboxes marked you know, May 25th, <laughs> May 26th. And, hey, John, we've got a bit of an issue here, buddy. Can you go to the box marked May 25th and just dig out all those numbers, please? Yeah, it's, it's just ludicrous. It's not necessarily the venue's fault. They just got distrust upon them that they, you know, in order, if you want to open up, you've got to do these things. So it's only natural that they also had to worry about a whole bunch of other things, getting, you know, coming back online and by way of you know, getting their businesses up and running. So we really wanted to try to take that headache away. But more to the, the solution itself, I think having a pen and paper also led to, you know, and it was seen because Queensland, one of the northern states of Australia, was, was one of the first ones to open up after the first lockdown. And they had queues of people lined up at the front while they were waiting to sign in. Now, you know, th- that makes no sense at all when you're trying to keep people socially distanced. Now, you know, so, so one of the, the other key tenets outside of accuracy was about being frictionless and efficient in the data collection itself. And so using your own device, you don't share anyone else's device. If you don't have one, the venue can manually enter you on one of the staff members' own devices if they so choose. And then the other thing we had was where other solutions have fallen down is you'll present, once you've checked in, it's, you know, what does that screen look like? The way that we were telling hospitality venues to, to deal with this is before you take someone's order, you need to check their green screen. And so we presented with a green screen. And then that wasn't good enough because we thought, well, someone could easily just screenshot that green screen. And you could send it around to everybody at the table if you wanted to. So now we made the green screen pulse. And so it's, it's whilst you're checked in, it's pulsing at the person. So you can actually see that it's live and valid. So, so we, we had to sort of look around a few corners here in, in order to evolve the, the product as we went along. But it's working well. We're getting a great response. Certainly all government venues have taken it up that are sort of independent like museums, libraries, so on and so forth. Our challenge is, of course, that in sending text messages, there's a cost to it as opposed to setting up some software in the background and then just scaling it up, allowing people you know, to do it. Because we use a text message backbone, there is, there is a cost. So there is a physical cost per check-in, which has been a challenge to get people's heads around, especially in times of, of economic hardship, as most of these venues are sort of crawling out of, out of closure. So that's been tough, and, and we're trying to deal with you know, Telstra, our big mobile provider here, to get behind the product and cut us some pricing that shows that they're supporting a small business in Australia that's doing what it can do to fight COVID. 
Yeah, I would see here the one place we have, I mean, we've done small business, we're, we're taking care of at least for the first couple months, but you do have over 500 venues using it so far. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's increasing. Actually, last week we had a bit of a media blitz. We did two things. The one, you know, just telling people about the, the tech. That did okay for us. <laughs> we, we, we went out and did research on lockdown one and uh, independent research, asked people, you know, were you entering correct data? And, and the research obviously showed us what we, thought to be true, which was that people were lying on their contact tracing. And of course, there were reasons for doing so. There were some horror stories about you know, a table of women that had signed and written their appropriate data and then got creepy text messages from staff you know, th- that had, had access to that data late. So because it was all done on a pen and paper, right? It's justifiable that people didn't feel comfortable putting their correct data in, despite the reason as to why they should. So sadly, when, when we, we guard our privacy so much that it becomes inhibitive to us to do the right thing by way of trying to deal with COVID, there's got to be a better solution out there. So we published this data and all of a sudden it, it made you know, the, the federal health minister for Australia was asked about it and what he thought of it and, and it just blew up on us. And so last week was a bit of a media blitz for us and, uh, and doing a fair few interviews on television and radio and, and in the press just about you know, this, this data and how important contact tracing is going to be. The thing that people forget is they think that once we come out of lockdown and the numbers come down at the moment, and I should say, by the way, Australia's dealt very, very well with the whole COVID-19 thing. And, and currently in Melbourne, we're in full lockdown, which means you're only allowed to outside your house for one hour a day, only one person at a time out, out of your house and, you know, and various other fairly tight restrictions. Must wear a mask outside. There's a curfew. You can't be out past 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. So it's pretty, pretty tight restrictions in Melbourne, the city of Melbourne at the, at the moment in order to, to get our numbers down. But we've done pretty, pretty well in, in, in dealing with it. But the thing that's going to go on is contact tracing will be around for a long, long time. The long tail of wanting to know, even if you get your numbers down to two or three cases a day, where those people have been and who they have interacted with will become very, very important. I read something just recently, Shane, that said, we've got to change our culture to a walk-in culture to a check-in culture. You know, from walking into a venue and just taking a seat now, we've, we've, you know, for, for at least the foreseeable future, we're going to have to look at it as if we want to go out and enjoy some of the, the finer things of, of socialization, we're going to need to change our mindset towards a check-in culture. Yeah, two things on that. One is, you know, from our flu season, we're used to watching what happens down in your winter, our summer, you know, as a predictor as to where we're headed. So we are desperately hoping not to be locked down this winter, but there's a good chance we should be prepared for that. And the other is, I actually is an avid traveler who's missing traveling. I've been reading a lot of articles about how that's actually going to change a lot of what happens in airports because you need yeah. to, you know, to get to social distancing, we need to get away from the long lines at TSA or passport check. And so it's interesting to see while they've got this moment where they don't have as many people in airports to make the changes on that. And as well as, I mean, I have actually been on an airplane recently and they, they gave you the option to print your, not only your boarding pass, but your baggage tag. And then they gave you almost like a little Ziploc bag thing that you slide on and you could use it. It was just one less thing you had to touch. So I think a lot of changes, hospitality obviously has been first on the, you know, the docket because everybody's been desperate to get out of their houses, but travel will adopt probably a lot of this as well, which I think is good. But even, even more so, on a, just on a social level, show, is the handshake dead? It's something that you know, my, my father taught me. Yes. You know, so there was, there was a time where, where fathers would teach their children about what an appropriate handshake was. And when you met a man and you were a boy and your father introduced you to a man, you shook his hand and you looked him in the eye. Right? That was a big deal. That's gone. And I think you know, there's going to be a whole lot of what, what were considered social norms 
are completely changed. And you know, we won't recognise them because it will be so organic in the way that it's happened. But you know, upon reflection, at the, you know, at the end of next year, when we're looking back on what a horrible 2020 and potentially 2021 was, I think we'll sit there and go, geez, remember the handshake? Remember that thing we used to do when we greeted each other? That, that was crazy. Adrian and I go to a lot of meetings with a lot of international people and our friend Jim always says, how many kisses in this country? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's gone. You have to worry about that's one. That's one part. I've been with Jim. I know exactly who you're talking about. And not only do you have to worry about the currency you're using, you go, okay, is it three, what, start with the left and then go right left? Is it, I, I don't know. I don't know. So many times you end up headbutting the person you're greeting. But, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, a, a lot of those, just those little sort of small social nuances are going to change. And, and some for the better. And, it's amazing the impact. I think you know, I saw some numbers, and you know, this is just anecdotally, but but seeing that flu numbers in, in Melbourne were down ninety one percent this year. Now, obviously, you know, we're dealing with COVID, but you know, the social distancing and the restrictions, and everything else, flu just hasn't had the, the stronghold like it normally does. And colds, colds, you can imagine, colds should drop off, especially with all of us wearing masks at the moment and all that sort of thing. So, so the timing for our second wave probably, I don't know if it had too much to do with the winter month, but more so just had to do with the fact that. We had some some embarrassing management of the, of of COVID nineteen down here, and so it's just time to be in winter, which is a good time to be locked down if it's pouring outside. You know, you don't want to go outside anyway. But I think coming out of it, it'll be interesting how long we have to continue with this. But we've we've gone off track, Shane. I'm sorry, we've we moved away from the tech conversation. We're having this whole philosophical social discussion instead. It all lends the same direction, which is you know you say. I don't know. It's embarrassing. Obviously, we're, we're feeling a bit humiliated some days in our numbers here in the United States. Singapore obviously did a bang up job, but, you know, privacy is not an issue there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the question when you, you know, the way that you're sharing information is why in the beginning I highlighted the kind of the three way relationship you have between the customer, the actual restaurant yeah. or the, the hotel and then the government. So far, have you had any problems with any of those entities? No, no, not at all. I think. I mean, we, we can see where there's other providers that we, you know, we've told the government about other providers that seem to be the da- dangerous part about this little cottage industry that's popped up, you know, saying that we're going to collect data on behalf of venues is, you know, and let's take a, a worst case example, and I'm not casting any aspersions here, but I could be a Chinese entity out of China. I could go and register a domain name, you know, Aussie check-in, you know, free, free Aussie check-in.com register that domain name and then go and, and get this, get some Google AdWords, get some traction in market and go and you know, set up a QR code. I could then be collecting that data on behalf of those venues, but doing whatever the hell I want with it. And, and the Australian government's got no jurisdiction to come after you for privacy breaches or, or anything else. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of a dangerous game that gets played. And, and we've certainly been in good discussions with the government. We've stood up ours, obviously, with our understanding of, of how to deal with the collection and storage of data from our previous lives. You know, we've done the right thing. But certainly alerting government to the fact that there are bad actors out there to try to come up with some, whether it's a certification program or, or even the, you know, the government endorsing certain providers or at least providing a, a set of criteria that each one must adhere to in order to, to give venues better instruction as to, to who to choose. Because that's one of the negative sides of this is, you know, there, was, there was one provider that got a lot of traction, came out, and it was actually backed by the Australian Hoteliers Association. And it was a New Zealand provider, obviously, that had been set up to help New Zealand country their lockdown and they came out and, and all of their policies and everything they didn't change and so when you read through their policies the term conditions that each venue and each each customer would sign up to said such things as all data will be released to the New Zealand Ministry of Health upon request now that's a big no-no you know of course 
when you're collecting data. And, of course, all the data was getting shipped straight off to New Zealand and being stored over there and being accessed by Kiwis. Now, I've got nothing against Kiwis per se, except they can't speak properly. But if you were to play that out in a different jurisdiction with potentially nefarious intention, then that could play a different way. So we've certainly been working a lot more closely with the government to try to provide them our, our real market feedback. And it seems to be getting traction both in my state, in Victoria, and in New South Wales. So we're hoping that you know, common sense will prevail, which is always a, a tough conversation with, with government, as you well know. So, look, consumers have been good about it. Government's been good. The venues have been great. You know, they, they just really want to just get back online and do what they do, which is, as I say, started with hospitality. I should also say, Shane, that this is now, it's mandatory across all businesses where you come into contact with customers here. So it, it started in hospitality. It's now extended all the way through to car dealerships, to museums, libraries, funerals. A couple of the major funeral companies are, are our clients and they collect the data of everybody turning up to a funeral, which, which makes sense, of course. So the contact tracing is going to be part of our, our existence going forward. And, and we've been, we're hoping, you know, obviously we, we would like that the, the government mandated a solution and stuck with it and that would be okay by us. And, and you know, certainly we didn't start this business to profiteer. This isn't, you know, the, the traditional, let's do a startup and let's find some, you know, some VC and let's flip it or, you know, do whatever. That was never, ever our intention. We, we you know, I called it the, the pop-up startup, Shane, which, which is where we, we just want to stand this thing up and have it run for a couple of months and then shut the whole thing down and, and feel like we've done some good. But sadly, I think we're going to be around for a long, long time. But yeah, this, this is not a profit-making venture. It's more so we're just trying to do the right thing and, and try to help where we can. Well, Adrian, I wish you a lot of luck. I think you have many lessons to teach us here because we are still looking for the right combination. And to me, this makes a ton of sense. Yeah, stay safe, stay well. And hopefully I come and get to visit you soon. Yes, I hope that we get to visit countries. <laughs> We're working on that too. Before, before I need a wheelchair to do so, but yeah, all right. All right, thank you. Thanks, Shane. 